0: Hello friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. And this week, we welcome back Reverend Dr. Brett Widman. Brett preaches on the passage in John 3 where Nicodemus, a Pharisee, is taught by Jesus about being born again. This is a very popular passage for the evangelical church. But Brett asks the question, who is really in need of being born again. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at ten a.m. on YouTube, or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. It's so good to be back here with you all. Last Sunday was so good for me personally. I, I, for those of you who were here, you remember the fact that last weekend was graduation at North Park. And I, when I agreed to come and preach, I didn't realize that that was the weekend that was going to be here, so I came here exhausted, stressed out, and wiped out. And I got here, and I said it in, before I preached that I only had about 45 minutes on Saturday to prepare the sermon, and last week somebody said, you should only prepare 45 minutes each week. <laughs> So uh, this morning I prepared a little bit more, so it's probably going to be a lot less. Um, But the reason why we started last week, we reminded ourselves always that whenever we get together and gather, it's really Christ that teaches, because he is the rabbi, and God's Spirit moves the way that God's Spirit wants to. And so I was reminded that in, in the Old Testament, when God made humans, he breathed into them, to give them life. And then in the New Testament, after Jesus uh, was was resurrected, he breathed on his disciples. So we have God breathing in us, God breathing uh, on us. And I actually believe God breathing through us. So we're going to go ahead and pray once again that that God would do what God does amongst us. Not what I'm going to say, but what God's Spirit is doing with us. Um, So let's go ahead and pray now as we breathe in God's presence. God, we have a breath so frequently that sometimes we forget to pay attention that we're breathing. And that is the way it is with you sometimes that you're so present in my life that sometimes I'm not aware. I need you to fill me with your spirit. I pray that your spirit would move as it, you've already been doing even on the drive here, your spirit was alive and at work. So as we continue to be present to you and your spirit, I pray that you'd help us each respond in kind to what you're doing and saying in your name, amen. I really like this kind of deal. So as we're going along in the back here, if you have a question that rises up in you or a thought or a comment, that might be God's spirit. So write that down as we go this morning. So in preaching any sermon, it's really important for us to think about the context. And not just the context of the specific passage that we are in, but actually also the context of the preacher and the context of the congregation in which the preacher's preaching to. So I don't really know a lot about your context, but you do. You live in this community, this is your local church, this is what you do. And so I'm just learning a little bit about DeKalb. Last Sunday was my first time here, so this is my second Sunday, so I'm learning a little bit about DeKalb. And what I'm learning, I love. I just want you to know, after being here last Sunday, I said everybody needs to move to DeKalb. (laughs) So I thought this morning I would give you a little bit about The context of me before we get into the context of this passage because they are connected So I did not grow up in a Christian home In fact, my home life was a little bit problematic and terribly traumatic My parents married at the age of 18 and 20 and had my brother immediately And then soon after my brother was born, I was born quickly after him My maternal grandfather was an alcoholic and took his life when I was in high school. And my maternal grandmother was an addict of prescription medication. And we had to take her frequently to the hospital and treatment programs over and over and over again throughout her life before she passed. My paternal grandparents got married at the age of 22 and 15. My paternal grandfather was thrown out of every bar in town that I grew up in and my paternal grandmother, the reason why she married at 15 is she wanted to get out of her mother's home because her mother was the town prostitute. Our town was an extremely small farming community of about 250 people and there needed to be actually four towns that would get together so that we could have one elementary school, one junior high, and one high school all in the same building. And I graduated with 17 other students and we had been together since we started in kindergarten no one in my family had ever gone to college my older brother didn't go and i was the youngest on both sides of the family so my parents took me aside and asked if i wanted to go to college and they said that they would pay for it and i was looking for some way any way to get out of that town and to get away from my family the options before me prior to this offer for college were fairly disturbing even though I wasn't intelligent enough to get into a lot of trouble in school and with the county sheriff, I was the class president and I had high, a high GPA. I had no example for anybody going to college, and so getting to college was rather complex. I chose a university that was about 25 minutes from where I grew up and had thousands of students in it, and I was a fish out of water. I got swallowed up right away into the vastness of this place where there was a lot, there wasn't any boundaries put on me. I could continue to walk the path that I was walking before college. But this time, there was more and more and more available to me. College for me, when I entered it, was like a Costco of sin. And I shopped there frequently. (laughs) in bulk. (laughs) I did meet a junior when I got there as a freshman uh, by the name of Scott, and ended up moving in with him. And it was through my relationship with Scott that I began to follow Jesus. The Christian college group that had just begun on this campus, it was a non-Christian school, had only 10 members in it. And I was the first convert, along with a friend named Beth Ann, who was an atheist from Boston. Beth Ann, Beth Ann and I were labeled born again and began a year of traveling the state of Washington to speak at Pentecostal campuses and conferences and churches uh, f- throughout three years that I was there. We both had a very sexy conversion story, and Christians love to hear all about all of our sinful lives before we met Jesus, how we had been born again, and now we're following Jesus. I graduated three years later after I was born again and moved to California, and I found the Evangelical Covenant Church. I went to North Park Theological Seminary to get my Master's of Divinity before serving various churches on the West Coast. I served uh, for seven years at Covenant Bible College, and that's where I applied to get my doctorate of ministry from Fuller Theological Seminary. This is why I am titled, Dr. Reverend Brett M. Widman, because of that journey. Now the reason why I'm telling you this context is because it actually fits very nicely in the context of the passage we're about to read this morning. I'm sure you'll get it, but we'll get there by the end of the sermon. We're going to be reading out of John 3, verses 1 through 21, and it will be on the screen. So you don't have to worry about looking it up. It will be up there, but you can look it up if you want to. We're going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And I'm reading once again out of the New Revised Standard Version. So let's go ahead and read this together. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of Jesus answered him, are you, a te- "'Are you the teacher of Israel? "'And yet you do not understand these things. "'Very truly I tell you, "'we speak of what we know "'and testify to what we have seen, "'yet you do not receive our testimony.'" For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come into the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in um, their deeds have been done in God. That's a lot. We are told in preaching class to don't preach from a text this long. And here I am doing what I told, we we're told not to do. This passage, more than any other passage in the New Testament, is used to navigate a story like the one I told you about myself. Whereas the New Revised Standard Version has Jesus telling Nicodemus that he must be born from above, the NIV states that Nicodemus must be born again. As a result of this passage, we get the term born-again Christian in our context. Someone like me, who was a great sinner, met Jesus, received Jesus into my heart, and then became a born-again Christian. Throughout my life, I've held this as a badge of honor. In fact, I was somewhat proud of the fact that I had a story, a life before being born again and a life after being born again that many in my Christian group did not have. It was notable. I was invited into leadership quickly. I was speaking at churches and conferences, and I felt like I knew how to get other people to become born again because I was born again. For those that didn't have a pre-born again story because they grew up in a church knowing Jesus and following Jesus, they had somewhat of a problem. They had to struggle with this text and how we've been preaching this text. Because of the interpretation of this text, they would need to locate in their own story and history when they became born again, even though their lives weren't as sinful as mine. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. The problem with that is, do young children know what they're saying when, they're, when we're attempting to have them become born again? Are young children even capable of kind of the theological conundrums that we find ourselves in? I know my children didn't. Even though I didn't grow up with a, a, a Christian background, my wife did. She grew up in a covenant church on the East Coast. Again, I said last week we have four daughters, and I remember my oldest daughter, Hannah, at the age of two. She went to the children's ministry, and they were trying to have the children have a born-again experience. So I got home that day, and my wife said to me, oh, by the way, Hannah became a Christian today at two. And I'm like, really? (laughs) She did? (laughs) We'll see. So I went to her and I said, Hannah, tell me about Sunday school, did anything happen? No. <laughs> what did you do? We, we had snacks. Uh-huh. Did you do anything else? Yeah, we did crafts. And I'm like, okay, anything else? Um, did you have a little special prayer today in Sunday school? Um, what, what did you pray? She's like, oh, daddy, we did have a special prayer. And I'm like, what happened? And I said, Did you, um, what did you do? And she's like, Well, Jesus, she's very demonstrative, my oldest at two, <laughs> was flying around us in Sunday school. He was flying around us. And our teacher had, she was very verbal at two. She said, Our teacher asked us to, to invite Jesus inside of us. So Jesus was flying around, and I asked him to come inside of me, and he went round and round in my tummy, and he came out my bottom. (laughs) Really? She goes, Daddy, it happened, and I'm like, I'm not about to argue with a two-year-old. About theology on any given day. I've been paying particular attention to the context of this text and I've actually changed my mind about it. It's important for us to pay attention to the context of the passage so we don't apply it wrongly in our life. Last week, we zeroed in on the complexities between the history of Israel and the Canaanites, which help us to navigate a really complex text about what Jesus seemed to be doing and saying to the Canaanite woman. These are some complexities in the text that we have to take a few minutes to sort out before saying this is what this text means. So here's my question about the text this morning. Why is it that Jesus only asks one person in all of the Gospels to be born again? Nicodemus is the only person that Jesus says must be born again. He doesn't ask the Samaritan woman to be born again. He doesn't ask the woman caught in adultery to be born again. He doesn't ask the Roman centurion to be born again. Last week we saw that he didn't ask the Canaanite woman to be born again, or the blind man in Sidon to be born again, or any of the famous notorious sinners to be born again. He doesn't ask anybody to be born again except for one person, and it's Nicodemus. Just this one person. And for us to truly understand what's being said in this passage, we better figure out who Nicodemus was and is so that we then can apply this text in our lives in the right way. We are told right away who Nicodemus was in the text. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And not just a Pharisee, Jesus in verse 10 refers to Nicodemus as the teacher of Israel. Fascinating. To become a Pharisee and a teacher in Israel, these are the requirements for you to become a teacher and a Pharisee in Israel. Number one, you had to be male. You could not be in leadership in Israel if you were a female. You had to have an education. In fact, the educational system then was they were only looking for men that were somewhat intellectual curiosity to rise above. If a rabbi came alongside of you and said, I think you should go into fishing, they were culling the flock. That means you didn't have the intellectual chops to become a Pharisee. You might need to take up carpentry. You might need to do this kind of thing because only the most intelligent male could rise up to be a Pharisee and to be a leader and teacher in Israel. Because of this education, you, you were wealthy and you had to be dominant race. You had to be pure Hebrew blood, not a drop of Gentile blood or a hint of it even in your history. In order to move up the ladder to make it as a Pharisee and a teacher of Israel, you would need to make sure that you were following all the cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. In other words, you would need to be clean. And you would need to stay away from behavior and people that would make you unclean. And that was the point of last Sunday, to stay away from the Canaanites and their practices. In other words, Nicodemus was not and cannot be considered a sinner in our text. I want to say that again. In other words, Nicodemus was not and cannot be considered a sinner in this text this morning. In fact, far from it. He was so pure, and he had risen above all the other sinners to a position of power and privilege over all of those sinful and unclean people. This is the person that Jesus says must be born again. Not the sinner, but the righteous person. Not an unclean person, but one that had deluded himself into thinking that he was unlike sinners because of the position and privilege that he held. To a prominent leader and a teacher of Israel, one who had climbed the ladder and found themselves making decisions on behalf of sinners trying to teach the sinners, trying to convert the sinners, deciding what sinner was allowed in what spaces. This is why Jesus asked Nicodemus, in all of his power and privilege, why he does not understand the ways of God. We see this in Nicodemus' response to Jesus, telling him that he needs to be born again. I never really saw this before until I really understood who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus responds in a way that I think that we can take some liberties on. In my bio in the, in the bulletin, I say, "I like to see the wink of Jesus in the text, and this might be one of those moments that we can read into maybe how Nicodemus responds to Jesus asking him to be born again." He gets a little defensive. He says what am I supposed to do, climb in my mother's womb again? I think that's what his tone was. Because again, remember, he was the teacher of Israel. You see, when you confront those at the top of the ladder of power and privilege about anything, they tend to deflect and deny. How dare this Jesus confront him about his understanding and his perspective? I want to say this again. How dare Jesus, a carpenter's son, confront him about his understanding and or his perspective. He was the top Pharisee and rabbi and teacher of Israel. However, Jesus knew that he was blind to the ways of God and the Spirit. He says as much in the text, Nicodemus, you may actually be a Pharisee and the teacher in Israel, but you are unaware of the things of the Spirit, the Spirit that moves across the earth and in the lives of people that you deem are unclean. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And after digging into this passage, I've come to believe that this passage is not a passage on how to frame how people become Christians. Whereas the Gospels teach it fairly clearly that Jesus asked people to follow him, or they just started following, this passage doesn't point to that. This passage, because of who Dickonemus was and is, is about the invitation for people that are in power and privilege to empty themselves of power and privilege. To become vulnerable, like a baby that's being born. Someone who's in need, someone who's humble, someone who is dependent on other people, Someone who doesn't have it all figured out, regardless of their education, but will continue to learn and look for the ways the Spirit may be working outside of their position of power, outside their position of privilege, outside of their perspective. And because of this passage, I actually tell my story differently now. Rather than saying, I became born again in college, I now tell people that I began following Jesus in college because that's more in line with Scripture, specifically the passages in the Gospels. So what do I say about this text? I say that today, at 58 years old, with a BA from college, an MDiv from North Park Theological Seminary, and a doctorate of ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary that I am Nicodemus today. The invitation to be born again is mine today, not when I was in college. I'm a professor at North Park Theological Seminary and I'm a teacher at the undergraduate. I've been a pastor my whole life up until North Park Theological Seminary. It would be very easy for me to use knowledge and experience, and positions, and power to explain the ways of God to you or to anyone else. In fact, that was I trained to do. I, like Nicodemus, may be blind to the ways of the Spirit because I'm a leader. I want to say this again. It's very possible that because I am who I am, I may be blind to the ways of the Spirit because I am a leader and a teacher I think the call to be born again now for me is better more important than it was even when I was in school Jesus comes to me to say and says Brett you must be born again how will I respond but we like to cling to power and positions and privileges don't we In fact, I think one of the things that the church is struggling with in America right now is aligning ourselves with power in order to get the things that we want to get. We must be born again from that temptation. How will we empty ourselves so that we can pay attention to what the Spirit of God might be doing outside of our paradigms, outside of our perspectives, how the Spirit is moving in this place. We can see this kind of attitude in Philippians 2 when Paul is trying to explain, and I'm gonna be preaching about Paul next week, where Paul is trying to explain who this Jesus was and is. In Philippians 2, pay attention to the emptying of God's self and think about born again. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8, listen to this. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership with the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind." Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And what is that mind about? In verse 6, he says, "...who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." certainly we know that jesus was and is god but paul is reminding us that jesus emptied himself of that power and privilege jesus emptied himself in humility of power and privilege even though god even though a leader even though jesus was teacher and rabbi Jesus himself did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but to be let go of. To empty himself of his authority. Can I do that? Can you do that? Can you lay down your rights? Can you lay down your possessions, your education, your privileges? Can you and will you respond to the invitation that Jesus provides to Nicodemus? That you need to be born again, rather than the sinners of DeKalb, the sinners of the USA, or the sinners of the world. Joel, your song this morning was really telling. I find it really interesting the way the Spirit of God works, but the song that we were singing was Laying Down Our Crowns. Did you hear that song? That's what Jesus was asking Nicodemus to do in order that he can be born again. Can you feel the wind of the Spirit this morning? To feel it? The Spirit blowing across you, inviting yourself to empty yourself of that power and privilege. I was going to end this sermon with more about the text and then with a prayer. But I'm actually, this is a great opportunity for you this morning to uh, get to know a friend of mine. Tony Pizarro is here with me. Tony and I have gotten to know each other last, I think it was in August that we got to know each other. Tony got hired to teach at North Park University, and I'm a teacher there, so we got to know each other, and started spending time together, and so when I we went out to dinner the other night, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm going to Calp. And he's like, I want to go with you. And I said, well, come with me. And so Tony decided to come with me, and then um, I was talking to Pastor Bill last Sunday. He said, well, you should have Tony share a little bit. And I said, I should have Tony to share a little bit. So Tony just graduated from the seminary. He's got his Master's of Christian Ministry and Restorative Arts. And he said, what do you want me to tell? And I'm like, whatever you want to say. Because the Spirit of God will actually blow through him as well. So I'd like to uh, welcome Tony Pizarro to here to share his story a little bit. And then he's going to pray for us uh, to close our time. Come
1: on, Tony. Good morning, and thank you for having me this morning. Um, I come to talk to you about impossibilities becoming impossible. Redemption, restoration, and Reconciliation. I come to talk to you about light in the darkness and what it looks like, because you are only an hour away from Chicago, but there's a lot of good, great works going on within the seminary and through the Evangelical Covenant Church. So essentially, I will talk to you about the School of Restorative Arts, which I was a student of, as well as several outside students. The School of Restorative Arts is essentially a master's degree program that was started by Professor Michelle Clifton-Sardisbrum in Stateville Maximum Correctional uh, Center. And it began with approximately 40 men. And if anyone know anything about Stateville, this was considered to be one of the most violent prisons in the state of uh, Illinois. Um, with that being said, it's now one of the most safest and peaceful prisons. And a lot of those mindsets that have changed is because Christ and the spirit is hovering over the prison and the individuals that are there. Um, Amen. Amen. Next month, in Stateville, they will graduate 35 men with master's degrees. That started four years ago. Stateville began with a pilot program of just master-level um, courses. Some of the guys eventually asked about what is next. Crisis already within us. How do we now transform the lives of others? How do we give back to the communities that we have destroyed? How do we fight against systemic uh, issues or uh, inequity or inequalities. So therefore, uh, through Professor Kristen soderstrom and Dean Kirsten was formed the School of Restorative Arts. So the restorative art track teaches about pastoral care and counseling. It teaches about uh, redemption and restoration. Um, within the past year, it evolved and became a new cohort within the women's in Logan. So now you have approximately 15 women in Logan that have just begun the program. The men's program have approximately three cohorts. Um, One of the things I talk about the impossible to the possible is that you also had, like for example, uh, Oscar Paulham lives in Waukegan. He works with the youth. So he received clemency. He was essentially incarcerated as well for accountability. Accountability is that if you are with someone, it does not matter if you participate in the crime or not the fact that you were there. You could have been around the corner, I took you to the store, and you end up committing the crime within the store because I was there with you. That is considered accountability and I could be arrested with you. Unfortunately, he received a life sentence where the person that committed the crime only received 20 years. In this one, he was a juvenile. Uh, This state does not have parole. So essentially, when someone is sentenced, they are expected to do 100% of their time. So he served approximately 30 years before he was released off of clemency, and the legislatures were the ones that would advocate for him once they knew his story and recognized the injustice. Uh, the school, of te- the school of restorative arts goes beyond just providing an education; also seeks to provide justice through clemency, uh, aid in those who have been wrongfully convicted, and we also have C.W., which is Church Without Walls. So you have a lot of people that believe in Christ, but in some forms or fashion, they have been harmed or traumatized by the institutionalized church. Some people wasn't born within a church setting. So what does it look like to create a space where everyone can come together and worship Christ, be an intentional community, grow out of that space? So when you think about the School of Restorative Arts, it's more of the spirit hovering because everything that is going on there is not supposed to be going on according to this world. So when we wonder what the kingdom of heaven looked like, then this is an example of what it can be when we allow God to do the work. When I come to the Cal prior to coming here, uh, Pastor Brett told me about this community. And I thought that it was a wonderful thing when you can bring a bunch of individuals together that come from different walks, different socioeconomic status, and different struggles. Because this is how we strengthen each other. The scriptures say, how shall two walk together unless they first agree? And, how, and the blind cannot lead the blind. So we have to recognize that in my, in my struggle becomes my strength because it was good that I was afflicted. That is what David said. Because in my affliction, I learned fear of the Lord. And we have to recognize that we were all accord, according to a particular purpose. See, I stand before you today, and I'm not from Illinois. I've maybe been here one year. So I come from Maryland. And it took me almost 16 years to prove my, that I did not commit a crime, even though if you see me, I'm not light-skinned or six feet. But I have got newly discovered evidence showing that the police withheld. So you see me sitting here today, not only as assistant director of the Writing Center of North Park, now also as teaching developmental writing, graduated with a master's degree. So when I sit here before you today, I'm also a testimony, showing you how God worked. So he set me aside, you know, where some people wrote me off, God had a plan for me. So, and I just say that for anyone that's going through what they are going through today, because the pandemic had made us disbelievers. Uh, some of the politics had made us become more divisive, but we are one in the body. And I will ask, if you step on your foot hard enough, your hand may respond, your throat may respond through your, through your mouth. Nevertheless, none of them were affected by your foot being harmed. So I ask you all, how are you responding when another part of the body is harmed? It does not matter if they are Protestant, uh, Covenant or Baptist or Pentecostal they are part of the body of Christ and we are all called to work according to his purpose So I would say that today that there is no such thing as a broken person See you can break a piece of wood and you can put that back together, but you cannot break a person You can only transform a person and we have to recognize that as pastor Brett said uh, earlier Nicodemus being born again. What does it mean to be born again? and Born again in our context, it's that transformation. That when God truly works on you, you become a new being. We're not looking to be restored to what we once were. We're looking to be new creatures in Christ. So that's what it truly means to be born again. And we have to recognize that all that we go through, even on our darkest days, there's a purpose on the other side. Because I never met someone that had a struggle, and in the midst of their struggle, they loved it. But when they got on the other side, they say, thank you, Jesus. For who would I be without my struggle? Some of the greatest songs, I was a wretch, but now I'm found. It came because of your struggle. So when you start pulling away those threads, even like you said, this is an agricultural community. Christ said, you, you only reap what you sow. But people fail to realize that in agriculture, you sow in faith. You work in faith. But guess what? Throughout the whole agricultural process, from the planting to the harvesting, you have to work. And there's no, nothing you know beforehand how much harvest you may reap. But you're still required to work nevertheless. You're still required to sow the seeds nevertheless. You're still required to grow the pull of wheat nevertheless. And I, and, I, and I will say this is with, with the School of Restorative Arts, I would say. The wheat is growing with the shaft, but that's only because we cannot distinguish what is what as it grows together. But at the day of Pentecost, it will be God who separates those whose hearts are not right, those who not stand, does not stand with him. So I call us today... To reconciliation with each other in community, with reconciliation in this world, and with understanding that all things are possible f- for God. That nothing is impossible. And when you think about that, I would just say that we walk humbly and we be grateful for what we do have. Because sometimes we don't recognize where he kept, where he kept us from, the harms he kept away from us. And you think about David You know, you think about in the Old Testament, when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son. And that was true faith. But this is what faith looks like. As he was walking to sacrifice his son, guess what God was doing on the other side that he couldn't see? He was bringing the lamb. So as you are going through whatever you're going through in your individual lives, always remember that you only called to walk by faith. But the provision is being provided on the other side. And they walk side by side. So when you get to the hardest part, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord. And with that, I would like to take us to prayer. So we may bow our heads. I begin with calling on God, Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Because he knows our hearts and he knows our needs before we request them. This morning, we pray that Project Blue does not only meet its quota, but it exceeds it. We don't know where that bounty may come from, but we know the Lord provides for those who petition to him. And we lift up our prayers because he said where two or more agree there, it shall be. So we lift it up as a community. We lift it up as seeking to partnership and collaborate with those who are outside of our context, but those who submit and surrender to the will of Christ. We pray For Pastor Jen and her sabbatical, we pray that she may find rest, restoration, and a new zeal on life. We pray that she may come back to lead these congregants. We pray for Reverend Bell, that his ankle heals completely, that there is no lasting damage or injury, and that he may continue to do the work of the Lord. We pray for the parishioners and the congregants that are here today, that God may cover you, that he may equip you that he may deliver you from whatever you may be going through, that in your darkest days you may look to the light and the darkness, recognize that the light and the darkness cannot coexist. But it is in faith that we walk, and we demonstrate this through our works, and we demonstrate this through our prayers. Father God, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you redeem us. We ask that you open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits in order that we may be able to receive your word. We pray that you sow into us in order that we may sow into others. We recognize that the journey is long, sometimes the days are harder, and that it is not easy being who we are. It's easy for people on the outside to look at us and say what we should do, but we pray that you humble them and that you give us strength and courage for the battles that lay ahead. We pray that you equip us, that you provide the tools the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we need for anything that we may encounter. Father God, we present these prayers in humility. We come in the name of Jesus Christ and we pray that our sins are washed through the blood of Christ. And we pray that each and every day and throughout the day, You may not only cover us, but our families as well as the body. And that our words may bring more Christians to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.